Blog Talk Radio. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hey, good evening, guys. Welcome to Comic Corner. I hope you like the beginning. What, what do you guys think? Did you like that? Instead oh, of the, the basic... like yeah, that's a yeah. nice. That's from the final episode of uh, Enterprise, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because you know, if we're doing a discovery, I can play a discovery. But this, you know, Comic Corner kind of we never know what we're going to do. So I kind of wanted something that would encompass. Star Trek. And that song is probably yeah. the one redeeming quality about that episode. So good job, Jim. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, I, I thought we would use it. So uh, that's why we have that. But I think so. in today's bag is such, a, is such a mixed bag anyway. Yeah, we, we got a little bit. Of, the, the only thing is there's no Deep Space Nine in there. They kind of only use Enterprise, but they, they didn't have a Deep Space Nine didn't have a a prologue. Neither did Voyager, for that matter. So no. I, it's all right. I, it it works. It, it works. works. <laughs> it works. Anyways, guys, we're going to be talking about some really great comic books this month. We're going to be talking about Too Long a Sacrifice, issue number two of four, and we're also going to be talking about Hill's Mirror, which is the Mirror Con book. That's a one shot, so it's one and done. And we'll be with you for the next hour. So our number here is 646-668-2433. And if you want to give us a call and share your sites, insights or just say hello, please give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 646-668-2433. And which one do you guys want to start out with? Ooh. Well, I in my pile sitting on my desk in front of me, I have uh, Deep Space Nine on top. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Let's, let's, do let's start with Deep Space Nine. Space Nine. We can get a little more in-depth with Khan, depending on what time we've got. All right. Yeah. So I want to start with Deep Space Nine and say, I, I same thing I said last week. I was The cover didn't thrill me. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. But... Uh, they're just not grabbing me with these covers for Deep Space Nine. I don't know what they're, why. I don't know why they're so, uh, Well, but, who's uh, the, again. In this, for this cover in particular, Jim, I totally agree with you. And my question is, okay, who is the guy in the doorway? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy standing in the doorway in Odo's office, silhouetted. I, I, I don't know who that is. And I don't know how that, like, I, I relates to the story. I don't know. What do you think, Charles? I wonder if he's he's the character we meet at the end. I, I guess it could be, yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't exactly stroll into his office quite by himself quite like that. But once again, we know from our discussions with J.K. that often the cover is painted completely independently from knowledge of the story. So maybe it was like, okay, we want you to put Odo in his office, 
and stuff, and you want the showy fig in the doorway, and that's all you get. I think it's so dark, Jim, and it doesn't, um, you know, I was kind of excited about this series because it kind of might have had a kind of pulpy sort of feel to it, you know, like the old uh, Dick Tracy detectives kind of thing, and um, and the cover doesn't speak to that to me. Well, the alternate cover that's in the back of the book looks uh, interesting. It looks like, like you said, the old pulpy, fictiony type of look to it. Yeah, they've had like that the old, kind of, they've had that kind of um, art look. noir sort of um, lettering and stuff going with that. And also, I think you're right, Jim. The reason I like that one a little bit better, and it would have been cool to have that as the A cover, is it's more dynamic, right? The the everybody's a little pitched. Like it, and the the lettering had like changes sizes as it comes across the page. It just looks more exciting. The cover that they chose as the A cover does not make me want to read. But if I see Eric, uh, Garrick lurking behind a corner, that would be the one that I would read. Yeah, that, exactly. I really like this alternate cover, but I don't like the the primary cover here. It's it's just blah. <laughs> What's also interesting, I don't know if you don't noticed know. or not, Jim, but there's two covers in the back that are by two different artists that have the same pose. So we have the cover that was done by Ricardo Drummond, which is our, our main cover. And then there was one done by J.K. Woodward that has Odo in the same position, almost identical position, but then has a little bit of a graphic overlay and more of a background. And I would say that one's even a little bit more interesting. That's if, the only cover I could see is that one. That, those two. I don't see the third one. Mm-hmm. If, if they use the if if they use the JK cover, and 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 use the 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 graphics from the from the Deep Space Nine, the red graphics mm-hmm. from the first cover. If they put those red graphics over Odo's head, where those two spotlights are, that would be the cover right there. That would work. That would totally work. That would work, totally work for me because it looks it looks like Odo's looking at his pad, and these are the witnesses that he's going to talk to that are on his pad. Totally. And then Deep Space Nine with the red bleeding letters type over his head. But um, this one here, this cover is just I'm very disappointed. Comic book covers are a thing, and this this run has not impressed me with the comic book covers. This is the second issue. And the second cover, that's like, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately. Well, it's interesting that Drummond gets credit for the cover, but he's not an artist in the book, in the comic. You know, that's often true when we review these books. The artist that's listed in the book or the artists that might be listed in the book are just the artists that are between the pages and then the cover artist is usually listed separately. Um, on this one, uh, inside the cover of the paper copy, at least, they have the th- three different, um, the regular cover, the, the B cover, and then the retailer's incentive cover with all the different artists listed right down below all the, the regular artists and writers and stuff. You know, what's funny, though, Eric, I just noticed that exactly what I just said is what they did with the with the JK cover for the retailer's incentive cover. They took the, the yeah. red deep nine lettering and put it over Odo's head like I thought they should have done. Yep. I didn't even notice genius, that. 
<laughs> that I should be working for a comic book. But, but it is interesting that they make the, Go I ahead, Charlie. I wonder if when I see cover A, I look at that cover and it's like it reminds me of the pocketbook. It reminds me of like a cover from one of the pocketbooks. Uh-huh. One of the old classic paperbacks. You know, I think you're right, and I think what that speaks to is that uh, within these pages, you will find a story about Odo investigating something, which I think is really appropriate for a book where you're going to – that's the story cover to cover, right? Odo investigates X, probably figures it out, uh, heroes win. In this one, I think it doesn't work quite as well because of the episodic nature of these comics. So here we are in episode two, issue two. And, you know, of course we know Odo's investigating. And I don't think the shadowy figure that is in the cover plays enough of a part in this issue to warrant being on the cover. I think, I think Jim's right. I think it's more interesting to have the suspects sort of shown, you know, like who's he thinking about? We already know from the last issue that Quark's going to be the number one suspect. And it's nice that we start there. Um, but, you know, there's several other ones. It, the Benzite uh, confuses me a little bit. That one hasn't come into the story yet, but <laughs> but the Bajoran and the Nausicaan have. Cover B is a little bit more interesting, but still not not as great as the JK cover. Yeah, the cover B continues their run of covers where they usually have one that is simply a photo from the series. They usually have the art cover, and they usually have a photo cover. And uh, in this case, it's just a photograph of Rene uh, as Odo on the cover of number B or letter B there. But I, my favorite one is the one that JK did. I really like that one. That's my, that's the one I, if I saw that, I would have bought the book in a heartbeat. Well, I buy the book in a heartbeat anyways, but I mean, <laughs> I, I would have. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, but it's a Star Trek. I'm going to buy it. But, Star Trek. But, yeah, Star Trek, I it's hard for us not to pick them up and read them. Yeah, but, you I would not, anyway. not to belabor this point at all, but the last observation I'll make about the cover is that the cover that I like the best, which is the one that's in the back of the issue and doesn't show up on the front page, doesn't have an artist attributed to it. All the other ones have uh, the artist's name written underneath them, but the cover that has Garrick kind of lurking behind the wall there um, – does not have an artist, as far as I can tell. So, interesting. Uh-oh. No, I, I agree with you guys. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> we lost him. <laughs> no. I, no, my, no wife, my, my wife just came in and was... Yeah, I just had okay. to mute it because the wife came in. Got it. Okay. But anyways, I, I, I agree. I agree completely. So let's let's dive right in and start talking about this one. So, Sounds good. Right off the bat, the one thing I thought was was a little strange is why was Worf working with Odo on the investigation? We've never seen that before. Did you guys think that was a little bit weird? Well, I think that uh, Odo references that in this issue, and he says that he's kind of allowed Worf to tag along because he felt like he needed kind of outside input. Um, so Odo, I think in this issue is already starting to feel kind of stumped by the, the serial nature of these killings that we're having here. And so he was hoping that, that Worf would, you know, 
be able to offer something. And as it turns out in this issue, Worf does eventually offer something that, that Odo wasn't thinking of, and it, it turns out to be fruitful. Right. So a little weird, think, I guess. But well, what is what was what was uh, Worf's title on DS9? He was commander, but what was he like in charge of? He was the. Wasn't he the tactical officer? Is that what it was? Tactical. I mean, that's what he was on on. Uh, on the Defiant. On the Enterprise. Well, he was the and I mean, on yeah. the Defiant. Well, depending on where I you think are, that's he was. What he was. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, I just thought it was strange the, the Odo Wharf thing because they were they were never really they were always at odds it seemed on the show. Yeah. You know. Well, because they never Odo's really saw natural, eye to eye. No, they didn't, and it was because they both wanted to get down to the bottom of it, and Odo always had patience, and Wharf always wanted to interrogate somebody. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I think that Worf's Worf's idea of interrogating somebody and Odo's idea of interrogating someone are two completely different things. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in, in this one, Worf says, uh, "Would you be open to something slightly more uh, intimidating or aggressive?" He uses some sort of term like that. <laughs> and I love last issue we were mentioning the artwork on Worf. But this mm-hmm. week, this this month, the kudos I think go to Garrick. There's a few poses here that I think they just got spot on. I don't know, Charles, what you think about the art, but I think they nailed yeah. Orc a couple of times. I think they nailed Worf. Yeah, what do you think? I think we doesn't overshade the character. Yes, I think we do have some good work on some of these characters. Yeah, Garrick looks really good. I mean, I even Bashir. I mean, all the characters have the the, the style is kind of interesting because it's so kind of high contrast um, compared to some of the painted things that we've seen in the past. Um, so it's an interesting style, and I find every one of the pages really rich. There's always a lot of colors, a lot of text box, um, you know, relatively interesting panel layouts, and nothing too crazy, but but enough variation to kind of keep you interested. Uh, so yeah, I I actually really like the art in these books. I agree, Jim. And you know something else that they did in this in this book is on the TV show Deep Space Nine, we pretty much we saw the bridge, we saw the promenade, we saw a couple of characters' quarters, we saw some hallways. That was it. That's all we ever saw of Deep Space Nine. Um, that was it, you know. But in this comic book, though, there are there's whole sections of Deep Space Nine that we've never explored or we've never seen on the TV show, which I thought was great. Like the, uh-huh. the dirty, scungy underbelly of the station, <laughs> you know, where all these, these criminals and, and I think they're mechanics, I think, aren't they? fixing ships and stuff down in the bowels of the station or something. Yeah. I'm not sure um, what their jobs are, but they're, they're, I think I, the, well, the, the sort of game that he busts up is just some folks who are the smugglers that kind of get things in and out of the station. I mean, like the show, the sense that you get from this book is that there is a CD underworld to the DS nine 
that Odo's well aware of. He knows what's up. Uh, and he allows part of it to kind of operate because when he needs to come smashing in and get some information, he can. <laughs> that's, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, we also, I, like, I like the fact. We also, because so many times we, we just see straight up Federation stuff. But in this book, we see the richness that Deep Space Nine brought to Star Trek. We we see Vedics. We see the the the, the spiritual and, and and religious side where with, with the Vedics, and we see the shady underside with the criminals. And uh, I really enjoyed it. The, the the texture that they gave the station in this book. Well, not only did they get that area, we also got some of the access tunnels, which mm-hmm. we also didn't see a lot of either. Yeah, I like that's the, the one the corpse showed up. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, lots of different scenes where we kind of get uh, many different. I mean, you're in a city, right? You're in a space station, which is essentially a city. And yep. it always makes me wonder if if the station is organized kind of from bottom up, you know, like some of these um, kind of classic science fiction things, you know, organized societies from the bottom up. Was DS9 organized that way? Did the seedy underbelly actually happen? At the bottom of the station? Did it happen near one of the docking pylons? I don't know. I'd like to know more. Yeah, that's that's the way I under the way I read it. Um, yeah, yep. but I enjoyed it though. I thought it was really good. I mean, there's so much on Deep Space Nine that we just don't get to see, or we have never seen, and they take the opportunity in this book to show us a lot of stuff that we've never seen, which I thought was great. Yeah, and I'll say I think people who – I mean, obviously, people who like detective stories are the ones who are going to like this um, issue or this whole series, actually, probably the best. This issue kind of can, continues what the first one did a little bit where you get little side notes that are um, Odo's investigator's notes on what's going on around him. Uh, so you get his internal well, dialogue. Crime. What was First that, Charles? got the scene of the crime. Yes, absolutely, well, yes. Yeah, and it was interesting because I was thinking about that. That felt very Star Trek-y to me, the way that they portrayed that. Like uh, the first, uh, the Bajoran who was murdered at the beginning of the book, you know, they show him slumped over, but it's not overly gory. I mean, they sort of show a black pool underneath him, which I think is how they kind of would have portrayed that on the actual show, you know? It wouldn't have necessarily been very gory back in the 90s, and it feels like a pretty accurate portrayal to me in the comics. The Ferengi weren't very... Or either. I think it was a very simple, oops, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think was a good effect. And I think we get to see probably at least three new races that I don't remember ever seeing in any of Star Trek. And it is when Odo busts up the card game, um, those smugglers there. Um, there's sort of a blue bald guy with elf ears that has these big bags under his eyes. There's sort of another dude that has kind of orc teeth. And then there's another person who just kind of looks like a zombie human. Um, so three new races that I don't think we've seen show up on Star Trek before. At least I don't recognize them. Do you guys? A group of smugglers that are kind of new to us, a race that we're, if we've seen them, we haven't seen much of them. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't recognize them. We do them. see an Andorian, though. There, there's an Andorian, <laughs> yeah. and the Andorian is in Starfleet, I yep. might add. 
we've been really so, kind of know. finding that pretty cool lately. We've been seeing more and more of these. We said, you know, man, it'd be cool if we saw more Andorians in Starfleet, and here they are popping up here and there. So that that is pretty cool, Jim. I agree. And not only that, but did you count the oh. tips on that Andorian? It's a captain. Yeah. Captain level, right? Uh, so I don't know. If... That same shot. You look at that same shot. We got an Andorian. We got a teller at that table too. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Now, this is a Starfleet and a meeting. Mm-hmm. This is a Starfleet meeting, so I think we've got some. We've got both of them in there, and unusual to see both of them at the table peacefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I like the fact that they threw, that we saw an Andorian. I'll say Charles so far right, there. That a, that's a Tellerite. Yep, it that sure is. That is a right. Yep. And I will say that they have not focused a lot on uh, too many of the other characters, and obviously Odo is the focus of this series. They kind of sprinkle in some Kira, some Dax, um, some Cisco here and there into the story. I like the way that they're represented artistically. Um, I don't think there's enough of them to really say whether or not I think they're doing a good job writing in their voice, but I will say that I do think they're doing a good job writing in both Odo and Worf's voices. You know, when I read them, well, the the words seem to, to ring true. Yeah, go ahead, Charles. Well, I think this is a... We've always had episodes where they were centered around a single character. Mm. We got dabs with other characters, but the story was focused on a single character. And I think this is definitely because the mystery and involves the Deep Space Nine, it's an Odo episode. And we get the different characters work in from there. But we want to focus the fact that it is Odo and what Odo is seeing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels very, very uh, DS9 episode-y. You know, it, it kind of is moving in a good way. And I will say that sometimes these arcs can feel stretched to me when it's a kind of like one investigation going on over a long period of time. This one, well... This one continues what the first one started, which is that trend. In the third one, I'll be interested to see if there is some action. You know, in the first one, we had the initial explosion. This one was pretty uh, low-key, you know, no shooting, <laughs> no running through the station. Um, they, they bust but up some criminals. Warp going in there trying to muscle in a little bit, which was good. A little bit, yeah, a little bit of manhandling by Warp. That is true. Uh, but I bet that they'll go but back I, and they'll give us a little bit of action in issue three. That'd be my guess. But I think I'm also really curious why they chose the mystery character at the end. Mm. I think he is going to be a key point at the end. He is going to be a key point next issue. So is that is that somebody – that's not somebody we've ever seen before, right? No. Okay. Nobody recognizes him, and I think he's a new character. Yeah, so he's a new and and I was so just uh, I guess I should preface this by saying spoiler alert, right? Because we we probably already spoiled yeah. some things. But the but on the very last page, if you don't know what if you don't want to know what's on the last page of the comic, <laughs> pause the podcast skip, now. Skip, skip ahead about thirty seconds it, a couple times. Yeah, yeah. But the person who shows up is full Betazoid, and so what we're reminded of at that point. Um, and I, I constantly forget this, I guess, unless I think about Luaxana Troy. But remember, full Betazoids are basically 
They can read minds. They can tell exactly what they're thinking. It's not a Deanna Troy situation where she can sense emotions or overall feelings or that kind of thing. This is like, you know, you can actually tell exactly what they're thinking. You know, Worf's thinking about whether this guy can beat him in single combat, um, and he calls it out. So I like that little reminder. It seems like that type of person, a full Betazoid, would make a darn good investigator and might give Odo one for his money. Yep. So I like his reaction to Odo. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. Me, yeah. I really, he, like, he, okay, uh, I really want to see how that gets resolved. He, he steps so, out of the um, out of the the uh, access and he walks up to Cisco and he says, "Nice to meet, nice to meet you, Captain Cisco." To answer your unspoken question, yes, I am Betazoid. Then he walks up to Worf and says. No, Lieutenant Commander Worf, I don't think I could defeat you in single combat. Yes, Lieutenant Commander Dax, I did meet Curzon Dax once. And yes, Major Kira, I can read Bajoran minds too. Then he turns to Odo and he says, but you, Chief of Security Odo, you remain a blank to me. It's like you're not even here. Mm-hmm. To be continued. Dun, dun, Which is dun, interesting dun, dun, dun. because I don't think we ever knew that about a founder, right? That they couldn't, that a Betazoid couldn't, couldn't, um, couldn't actually hear their thoughts. And, and and I actually, this actually, I had one question for you guys about this, and it's sort of side related to this comic. But um, in the in the, at the very beginning of TNG, in episode number four, season one, it's called the Last Outpost. It's the episode where the Ferengi are introduced. And early on in that episode, Troy says something like, I can't sense their thoughts when, uh, what's his name, Grawl, first comes on the screen. Uh, She's like, I can't sense their thoughts. And then later on in that episode, she says that she can sense emotions from the Ferengi. And so my question to you guys is, can a Betazoid sense Ferengi emotions or not? Any thoughts on that? We've never I was really under the had impression. a. Uh, Go ahead, Charles. I, was, I, I would say I don't know because in most at most connections with the Ferengi, we've only had one Betazoid, and I'm not sure how she acted the corpse. Mm-hmm. We've only had the Waxana on on DS9. I think that's our biggest interaction between the Betazoid and Ferengi, and she really wasn't worrying about sensing mind at that point. Right. I, I was under I was the impression, kidding. guys, that um, that Betazoids can can read people's minds, Ferengi's minds, anybody's minds, because they're Betazoids. However, however, I was always under the impression that Deanna Troy, being a hat. I'm, a half breed, half human, half um, Betazoid, kind of like Spock. She couldn't read minds, but she could read emotions, and that's what she could do. She couldn't read your minds, but she could read your emotions. Whereas Betazoids could read your complete thoughts and had really didn't care about your emotions because they could read your thoughts. So that's what made Deanna Troy so unique. At least that's yeah. the way I always took it. Yeah, and her powers, so to speak, took on a special empathetic nature, right? When somebody else was in extreme pain, 
it was almost like it was overwhelming to Troy because she automatically picked up on their pain and it just was like, she almost like absorbed it. You, I would not imagine that that would happen with Luaxana Troy necessarily. I think you're right, Jim. I think she would read a thought and, you know, and then put on something fabulous and walk away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whereas, exactly. Whereas Troy is like, you know, Troy is like, oh my God, I feel your pain. Oh my God, it's terrible. Oh my God, what can I do for you? You know, which is probably why Picard chose her uh, as the ship's counselor. Which is why she was so awesome in the Picard episode, Nepenthe, I might add. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so before we before we get too far, we we got to talk about the con book, Hell's Mirror. Overall, what would you guys give this book on a scale of one to ten? The Too Long a Sacrifice. I would probably give this book about a seven to a seven and a half. I'm interested. I want to see where the story goes. Yeah, I'll go seven and a half to eight because I do love the art. I, I think the art is really interesting. So let's go. Uh, I'll give you one number here. 7.75. There we go. That's a, that's a good number. How about you, Charles? I'll go 7.85. There we go. Just let, Yeah, I could go with that too. <laughs> I do too. Uh, I'm a little worried about Jim's comment from the last time we reviewed issue one, which was that the woman blew up her own shop. And I'm like, Oh man, this, this book is still kind of pointing in that direction. So I'm a little, that's kind of why it's not above. Well, eight, Cause I feel like I know where the story's going already. Maybe if not. You notice, she wasn't in this issue at all. And if the Betazoid guy runs into her, he'll know right away. That is also true. Yeah, good point. So, but yeah, I, I'm there with you guys. Maybe 7.6, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, right in that area. If this is a four-parter, four they can't just immediately solve it right away next episode, next issue. Mm-hmm. It's going to be true. a little complicated. That is true. Well, it, it better be more complicated than her because if we get to the end and it's her, I'm going to have to go back and change all my scores and drop them down a, a, a much, much lower if it ends up to be her. <laughs> but as it's called right now, I, I'll leave it where it is. That's good. <laughs> so we also have a one-shot. They've been giving us one-shots, uh, which is pretty cool. And this one is called Hell's Mirror. Khan in the mirror universe. Something that, you know, is interesting, right? Something that we've yeah. never really oh, yeah. thought about. Yeah. He doesn't have a goatee, though. That surprised me. Nope, um, just well, just he would have had a so little far. Spock. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the cover of this one is a lot more interesting than the Deep Space Nine cover. You know, yeah, I mean, it's got, it features Khan. It's got a really big head of Khan, and then it has smaller versions of Spock and Kirk kind of next to him. It's got some nice kind of hellish lettering that says Hell's Mirror. And then it has this kind of nice retro feel because this, the Enterprise, uh, the ISS Enterprise, is kind of swooshing across the cover on the bottom as if it was like a, a sticker or a, or a barcode or something on the bottom. And it says, a whole new universe to win. So, man... I tell you what, if you were just even half a Star Trek fan and walking through the comic shop, I would see this and I'd be like, yep, let's grab it. I love Khan. 
Love ISS. Let's do it. Yeah. The one the one thing that I will say, they do with their one shots, and I don't I want to know what you guys think about this. Um they charged an extra dollar for this issue. And granted, uh you do get a very nice cover. It's made of nice, really thick paper, feels really good in the hand. Um, the pages have kind of the, the typical high-quality glossy feel of an IDW page. Uh, as far as I could tell, however, there were no more pages. And so basically, I feel like I paid an extra dollar for maybe thicker paper on the cover. I don't know. What do you guys think about the four ninety nine price tag on this one? Yeah, it, it, it did feel like a thicker book. You're right. The cover does feel thicker. I'm holding it in my hand, comparing it to the Deep Space Nine one. It does feel heavier, but I don't know if the pa- how many pages are in it. I didn't look. I uh, same number. Yeah. Oh, is it okay? All right. Yeah. Okay. So it isn't any longer. It's just a dollar more. <laughs> I'm recounting. I don't know. Okay, it is slightly longer. Okay, so maybe that's where the extra dollar comes in. There are a, there are like a few more pages at the end, so so maybe that's where the extra dollar comes from is the extra long length and then the paper. I don't know. Maybe I'm still yeah, living the in the days of dollar fifty comics. It's not going to go to a trade paperback. This is going to be it. Right, that's true. So you're not going to be able to buy that nice quality trade paperback cover that will allow you to read the whole series. This is this is it. This is the one that goes on your shelf. Yep. Unless they put out a special one shot with all the one shots in it, because I, if I uh, this is like what our third or fourth one shot. Yeah, boy, that would be a lot I of mixing, but they all come out of IDW. Either. Yeah, yeah. So. This story, it really intrigued me. I was very interested in it. But, but, yeah, I wasn't this is a big thrilled. <laughs> well, but, but, I mean, um, so, so here's my first question for you guys, and I could not resolve this in my head, and I know I shouldn't be a stickler for continuity, but they have done such an amazing job in these comics lately keeping canon adjacency, you know, keeping things in a universe whereby the comics could actually fit into the continuity. The, uh, you know, the writers maybe were shared between the TV shows and the comics and that sort of thing. This one is more like the pocketbooks of the past. This blows continuity out of the water. I tried to figure out when this book happens. And at first you're kind of like, well, it must happen before Mirror Mirror because Spock is not Emperor. Right and Kirk's on the ISS Enterprise, and yet during this story, Kirk destroys the ISS Enterprise, which obviously shows up yeah. in the episode Mirror Mirror. So it doesn't fit in. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> and then we also know from J.K.'s little mini uh, story in the Mirror uh, that Data goes after and hunts down Spock. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. That was my, my 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 biggest. I enjoyed reading it, and I found it to be an interesting read, and I enjoyed it. It seemed like a holodeck adventure to me, because it doesn't 
It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't fit in with what we know. And like you, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out where to fit it in because it doesn't jive with what we know. Okay, you know, so, and, and so let's so let's take that, Jim, and let's put aside the fact that we can't fit it into continuity. What did you guys think? You and Charles both think about the actual portrayal of Khan, though, in this story. Like, was this a con that you would believe, Charles? Do you believe this is a con that accurately represents kind of what you would expect to see in a mirror con? I think in some ways how we look at mirror characters. Okay, I'll give you a prime example. Tilly. Tilly and Tilly. So if I look at Tilly and Tilly, I believe this one, I believe this one to be con. This, I believe, is a con, I would imagine, in the mirror universe. Because he's not as much portrayed as the conqueror, as more the protector. <laughs> I think he's more of a protector. He's trying to save the universe, not conquer the universe. In fact, he says somewhere in this book that he's trying to form, what's the word he uses? Federation. He's trying to form a federation, right? Yeah. What do you think, yes, Jim? And this Khan, Khan doesn't know about the, the, the this Khan. Oh, no. uh, Spock knows about the federation. Well, wait, no, it well, doesn't. He doesn't. Well, I don't know. Depending, at all. depending on when the story <laughs> happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> None of that is relevant. No, uh, what's relevant not. here? Forget about Mirror Mirror. Khan. <laughs> Khan does not know about the Federation. He has no knowledge whatsoever that it exists. Never heard the name. Knows nothing about it. So let, let's okay. Khan himself. We right. can worry about but what Kirk and Spock know based on. But Khan himself doesn't know anything about the Federation. I also found it really fascinating. When Spock breaks off. What's that, Charles? Yeah. Is it near a mirror where Spock breaks off and tries to go on his own? Well, that's the it's the one where he in at the end of Mirror Mirror, uh, Kirk is killed and Spock inherits the Empire and he sort of decides to take it in a different direction. Uh, okay. Right. Like Mirror Mirror but is I, basically I thought, what leads into the Terran Empire that we see during DS9, which is totally, you know, uh, okay. mirror opposite of I found what we this, see in I found TOS. this con to be a very intellectual character. I found also this Khan is not the Khan that we see in Wrath of Khan because he hasn't been stranded on the planet. He hasn't been stranded on SETI Alpha yet. So this is a Khan that was really highly educated, read a lot of books. Uh, I mean, he's quoting Shakespeare in Wrath of Khan left and right. And he has books on the uh, Botany Bay. So he's a very intelligent, very well-read individual. And he comes off that way. In the comic book, I feel that his character is very true to how he might be if he wasn't deranged and filled with vengeance and hate. So, yes, I think he was a good character. Well, when you said he's not trapped on City Alpha 5, if you look at the story, when they go into the cavern, that cavern is below City Alpha 5. So City Alpha 5 is in his prison. That's where right. the Jesus. housing part of his hole. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I really dug at the beginning um, the whole – the way that they really separated this story from the story of the augments that we know from Enterprise. Um, you know, in this mirror story – well, first of all, let's review what happens in the prime story. In the prime story, the augments are created. Then eventually the augments, uh, you know, help to sort of conquer the earth in various different ways, but then they start fighting amongst themselves – and eventually uh, everybody is exiled after they have kind of fought against themselves. In this story, you know, you get on the first page Khan talking about how these 85 augments were created and that the, it was the people. It was the people who waged the war themselves that the augments almost like couldn't, couldn't stop. Uh, and then they went to sleep. And then when Khan woke up, that was when the Terran Empire suddenly was part of the show because we know the Terran empire actually started as you know, we were shown the starting of the temp of the Terran empire in, uh, in, in a mirror darkly uh, during enterprise, you know, that scene from first contact, but the, the mirror version of that. <laughs> so this book takes place before that. And so Khan goes to sleep. The world is at war. He wakes up. The Terran empire has taken over everything. So I do think that that kind of frames his thought process and he's like, oh, my God, look at all the terrible things these stupid humans have done. I need to be a force to help bring them together, which is what he spends this book doing. Now, what did you think about the fact this is, okay, we have to, we have to forget what we know about the mirror universe and about Spock and about Kirk. Otherwise, we can't, we can't discuss this if, if we try to make it fit what we know. So let's forget right. what we know. What did you think about the fact that Spock had defected and was working with Khan what? as his right-hand man? Well, you know, well, I, do we... Like, <laughs> because, because Spock met near Spock met Prime Kirk, I think that the stage that kind of released him to thinking there was an alternative. And so I think Spock was creating a resolution at that point. And at one point he may have reached, maybe we can use Khan as part of the revolution or maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'd have to time this one after mirror, mirror uh, somehow for that. Well, forgetting what we know. No, you're right. You're right, Charles. That could be a possibility. I like that. Yeah, because yeah. Spock actually says at one point that the Vulcan, based on on his computations, it was only 6.85 decades or whatever he came up with before the rest like, of the Vulcans would realize that and they would revolt or something well, like that. that. He, and, well, what his big calculation was in this book was he calculated that if he didn't help Khan, the universe was going to be plunged for like 2,000 years into disparity. And I think that that was lip service to Khan. I mean, that was my impression because at the end, you know, Spock sort of sticks with Kirk, um, so to speak. <laughs> um, so yeah. it could be that his alliance all along was a ruse. Yeah, and Kirk, you know, here are lots of buffs. When, mm -hmm. when Kirk is talking to Khan and he turns around and he blows away the mirror ran 
Then he blows away Sulu. He blows away Chekhov. Just kills them on the bridge. Kills the whole bridge crew. Beams over to Khan's ship and then blows up the Enterprise. I was like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> no. What am I looking at? Kirk would never, never blow up his his crew and his ship. He would never well, do hold that. On. And I, hold on, Jim. Not mirror, old Yeah, we're Mirror Kirk here, man. We are Mirror Kirk. Remember that during Mirror Mirror, Mirror Kirk spends most of his time like enraged, like a crazy man, right? Uh, I mean, Spock is the reasonable one in that episode. I don't think we have any idea from that episode what Mirror Kirk is really capable of. And and I actually could see him blowing up his entire crew for the right reason, for personal gain, because I think in the Terran Empire, the way you get ahead is you kill everybody behind you, right? So nobody can catch up to where, yep. you, where you are. Well, not everybody behind you, everybody above, uh, above you. Well, those, those people, too, one at a time. But then you make sure you, right. you don't leave anybody behind who's going to catch you either. <laughs> But he has exactly. the he has the Tantalus field, so he can wipe out anybody he wants at any time. Blowing up the ship blows up his advantage, unless yeah, he I took it with him. I guess. I, 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 I hate to be a gatekeeper. I really, really do. I can't stand it when I. <laughs> but when I and and again, I got to say this. This is what I I am enjoying so immensely about the discovery books that we're currently reading on book nook, because in my mind, they fit neatly and perfectly into what we know and understand about the Star Trek characters on discovery. And there's none of this trying to twist and finagle and justify and, and catalog and make things work like in this book. Um, And that's, and that's really important, Jim, because the reason that we read stories like this is that we like the characters and we want to know more about the characters. We want to learn what makes them tick, right? We want to know why they make the decisions they make. And if it's not consistent or if it doesn't fit into, if you have to do more than a small wiggle to make it fit into what you know, then it becomes like, uh, well, like the old pocketbooks that we always refer to. You know, it's like, well, that was a cool story. I really enjoyed it. It doesn't mean anything. Whereas when I read a discovery book right now, I'm like, oh, now I understand why Saru did that in discovery season one, because he had this cool like thing that happened to him when he was in Starfleet when he was younger. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, right, right. Uh, well, just as the so DS9 let's, book let's, let's, uh, let's isn't make tied a directly to the series itself. Right. Let's, mm-hmm. let's just say right now, Let's review this book. Let's take this book as a total, absolute, standalone book that has nothing to do with anything. And let's just judge the book based on what is between the covers and not what we know about what Spock did or what you, or the Tantalus field or what, you know, what, let's just base it on what we read in the book. How's that? Mm -hmm. All right. The only way we can Something I want to comment in this yeah. book that I thought was interesting that caught me every time I ran into it was the fact that this opens up like a Star Trek episode, like a TOS episode, because you got the opening teaser, then we get the title of the episode at the commercial. 
In this one, we get through the capture of, and then we get the ep, we get the ep, the episode, the title of the book inside the book. When you mm-hmm. look at the explosion of the Enterprise, it says right there, Star Trek, the old mirror, as if we're introducing the title. Giving me a feel yeah, you're right. So, Charles, should that page have been a full page rather than being the Enterprise blowing up on the top two-thirds of the page and then four panels below with some dialogue and stuff below? Should that have been a full page if they're going to do that? Full page might have worked, but I think it's just the emphasis, the fact that, like, okay, there's the oh, now we're going to get into our story. So they get a little separation there, which most comics don't do. Mm-hmm. That was a unique thing to sit there and put the intro, put the intro in there, and then we get the title of the episode, which Heck. we get in Star Trek. Because we'll get a teaser, and then we're going to get the opener, and the opener is going to give us the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say that um, I think the artwork in this book is really good. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the colors. It's very colorful. And, and the panels, the panels are, are laid out. They're, uh, they're really well done. Um, mm-hmm. The lettering is easy to read and easy to follow. Um, you know, the panels aren't all square. There's, there's some circular ones. There's some diagonal ones. There's, it's, it, it flows. It's really easy on the eyes, I found. Uh, the lettering is good. The characters look really good. The, the artwork. Who did the artwork? Was it J- Who did this one? Uh, uh, this one, Matthew the artist Dow is Matthew Smith. Dow Smith. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like the, the, um, the colors. I like the, the way the pages are laid out. And like Charles said, he's right. You, you, you get the intro and then you get the, the title page like you were watching an episode and um, yeah, the, the, the characters look really good. You know, we get a little bit of insight in, into Captain Kirk growing up as a farm boy and uh, in Iowa and reading books that he's not supposed to read. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the layout of the book. I enjoyed the artwork of the book. And I think they did a really, really good job with, with the overall presentation of this story. What did you think, Charles? Yes, yes I agree. I, the presentation is very well done. I agree with you. The color work's done. The, the inking is very well done. The story flows. It keeps you going through the book. It was just, yeah. I think I know what Jim's thought is towards the end, and I kind of agree to that. I'm probably going to agree to that. And what did you think? What did you think, Eric? Yeah, overall, I'm very positive about this one, despite the fact that we can't wedge it into to canon. I think the most interesting thing about it is the insight into Kirk's background and psyche that you were just referencing, you know, you, you find out here, there's like a mind meld, right? Khan, first of all, this is only, there are not very many times that we see non-Vulcans do try to attempt mind melds. We saw it on the Picard series um, where the Android actually is able to do 
mind melds. And in this one, we see Khan, the student of mind melds, attempting a mind meld with Kirk. But, you know, Spock references, he says, well, you're, you know, the memories that I saw were actually real and your blockers were not working properly. So that makes me know that there's like some training, some conditioning that goes on with Terran uh, Empire, probably captains, maybe even further down. Uh, and then it didn't work. And that's why we got that little insight into Kirk's psyche. And then at the very end, they reference back to it because they show a book that references his thoughts from when he was a child in his drawer uh, on whatever ship they're on there at the end. So I really like actually what they did with the Kirk character in this one, probably the best. The con was, was pretty cool. I did like that he was a, lib- a liberator and a, uh, a good guy, a force for good. <laughs> rather than the kind of evil, uh, vengeful uh, con that we get in Ravicon. So, yeah, overall, I dug this book. I wish they could have just tweaked it just a little to make it fit into the story somehow. I feel like they could have if they just hadn't blown up the Enterprise. I feel like that would have done the trick, right? They should have found a way to get him off the Enterprise without blowing it up. And then they could have just fit it right into what we already know. But, so, well, I mean, it was still a good Enterprise. I guess so. Yeah, the refit. <laughs> yep. I, 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 I'm going to have to give this book two scores, if you guys don't mind. Here we go. I love it. Right um, I, I, if I'm taking this book as a standalone, and I'm, I'm throwing out all the canon adjacent, and I'm just looking at this book as a one-shot story, and I'm not being influenced by what I know or what I think I know, I would give this book an 8.5, 8.7. I might go as high as a 9, okay? The layout, the artwork, the story, the inking, everything. I would, I really, really would give this book a very, very high score. Like I said, 8.5, maybe even a 9. If I'm trying to look at this book as a Star Trek book, it doesn't work for me. There's too many holes in it. It doesn't fit. They make, they make, they switch the roles of Kirk and Spock at the end, where Kirk is the one who's questioning the Federation, whereas we know that it's actually Mirror Spock that questions. The, I don't know. So if I'm trying to fit this into yeah. the Star Trek world, there's just too many holes, and I, I would I would have to give this book a six, maybe, maybe even. 5.8 if I'm looking at it as a Star Trek book because of the of the gaping holes and inconsistencies. What about mm-hmm. you, Eric? Yeah, I actually feel like those are very fair scores. I might even go a little bit lower on the second score, uh, but I think eight and a half is very fair. I totally dug this book. Art is great. Story is great. Panel layout's great. Colors are great. Uh, totally awesome. But man, it sure does not fit into Star Trek lore, um, which is too bad because when I was done with it, I was so excited about this book, guys, so excited. And then I finished it and I was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really fit in, does it? So I'm going to give it an 8.5 slash 5.0. Yeah, all right. And what about you? Get to bring up the caboose, Charles. All right. Well, I think I'll agree with the 8.5 in the main story. But the ending wasn't what I was expecting. But it also gives me the point of how it ended. 
makes me wonder if this was a Karen plot. That they planned this out to him a to making planning it planning Kirk as a seed into the situation. Because hmm. Spock rather supports him at the end on that one, which kind of makes me thinking that this might have been sort of a Terran plot in the first place. Hmm. But about a six and a half, seven, I think, on the whole story, just because I don't like how they ended it. I think they could have ended differently. Mm-hmm. Now, how would you have felt if we just if we changed one simple panel, just one panel in the book, and it ends with Spock sitting at the table asking that question instead of Kirk? Wouldn't that change the whole way you look at the story just by making that one change? Um, the question about the uh, his past or. When, when when Kirk is sitting at the at the end of the book, I think the last page is him sitting at the at his desk in the dark, and he's got the book in his desk. Yeah, and he's and he's thinking about you know the future and what's to come and what you know what to change. And if you had if they had made that character that panel be Spock that well, was the sitting last... there in the dark. Was, am I am I in the wrong? I mean, you you might I, be I remembering the last page wrong. Yeah, the last page on this one is basically I Spock open. Spock open talking up. to Kirk open and telling up. him that uh, you know I looked I looked in your mind and it was you know it was the real it's the discussion about whether or not the memories that he saw in his head were real or not on that last page and. Um, and that's the scene that I was talking about that I love so much because it's the one where Kirk is like, uh, you know, Spock's like, I saw what was in your brain. It was real. And Kirk's like, nope, wasn't real. And Spock's like, yep, it was. And he's like, nope, you were mistaken. Um, you know, f- report me to our superiors if you don't believe me, but it was not real. And then he, he tells him, get the hell out of here. And he walks away. And then Kirk looks in the drawer and he sees the Once and Future King book that Spock saw when he did the mind meld with him that he read as a child. So that, I and love that. Kirk, that. But then the word underneath Kirk, as Kirk is sitting in the dark, looking at the book, the word says hope. Hope. And I'm thinking that if this was the spot, if this was Spock, it, 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 it would easier fit into what we know about where, where Spock actually ends up later on. But, Oh well, that, that, so that line but actually. You don't connects. know what Kirk's hope is. Well, that line, uh, Jim, is in the black, black, the 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 yellow lettering on the black background, which means that it's actually a continuation of Khan's line from the previous page. So if you were to put Khan's line not spanning across the interaction between Kirk and Spock, it would say, as as Khan's dying, he would say, "Why then, as I take my last breath." Do I feel myself clinging to an absurd, illogical hope? So that's where that's the moment uh, where we learn that Khan, in the end, was just he was just hopeful that he could change the world, and despite the fact that he was defeated by Kirk, he still has hope that things will change. Uh, okay, cool. Well, you know what time it is, guys? No. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> already. 
Ding. Yep. But hey, guys, we got a really we got a really big treat for you guys. Um, our next book nook, which is going to be on Saturday, October third at two p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to have Una McCormick with us, and she's going to be talking with us live about the way to the stars, which we refer to as the Tilly book for Star Trek Discovery. It was a fantastic read, and we're lucky enough to have the author with us. So mark your calendars for Saturday, October 3rd at 2 p.m. Make sure you're here. Give us a call. Ask some questions. We're going to talk about Way of the Stars. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Picard book, uh, Last Best Hope, which I did not read, but Eric and Charles did. And we might even throw in some Trek talking with Una while we're at it. So please mark your calendars for that. Saturday, October 3rd. And, of course, Thursday night we have Trek Talking. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Birthdays, Star Trek News, and we're going to be reviewing the latest episode, Episode 8, uh, Vertas. I think that's the name of the episode, of Star Trek Lower Deck. So tune in for that. And we're out of time. So I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out with us. Eric, thank you very much. You bet. A blast as always, guys. And Charles, what would it be without without Charles with us as well? Thank you very much for hanging out with us, yeah. Charles. Oh, talking, and of course, thank you. Talking Trek stories is always fun. It's always a fun time. And of course, thank you to each and every one of you guys. You know, we wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. So thank you, thank you very much for listening. It was a blast. Um, I want to say good night, and I want to tell everybody to stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.